Good evening, family. Hope everybody's doing great. Are we? Thank you, Adam. All righty. Well, welcome to Wednesday night midweek study. Um, we're going to continue to teach through the book of Revelation. And uh, so, um, but before we go there, just a couple last, for the last few weeks, we've always kind of just touched upon circle in the wagons. I just want to reconnect with that and that, uh, you know, as a church body, we just want to circle the wagons. We want to draw tighter uh, than ever as a family. And, and uh, so um, we're going to practice that tonight. We're going we're gonna to circle up and, and I'll explain. But uh, yeah, we, we want to circle the wagons. I just love that picture. It's like, all right, let's just all get together, have a little campfire in the middle, you know. So. Um, and again, the, the, the scripture that just keeps coming back to my heart is Jeremiah 33, 33, 3, that says, it's going to be one of those, I better take a drink now. Okay. <laughs> As I was practicing and, and going through this, you know, we're, we're, we're doing the Church of, uh-oh, the Church of, talk to me, Laodicea. Wait till you say that a million times. It comes down to the, where you don't know which one is right anymore. So if I blow it, you'll understand. And especially, Jesus throws us a curve, the first thing. And so you'll see what I'm saying. So no. All right. Jeremiah 33, 3. That was better. Call to me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. And so, family, that's what we're doing. That's what we're doing as a board. That's what we're doing as a family. That's what we're doing um, just, you know, individually. Please, please, please continue to call on the Lord and, and ask him to show you. Ask him. And we're going to ask him today. So um, as a review, we're studying the book of Revelation. Um, the revelation is the unveiling. Uh, it is the consummation of all things. It, put things. it puts things in their rightful place. Um, chapter 1 comes with that special, ple- special blessing that we want to uh, take advantage of. Blessed is he who reads and those who hear the words of this prophecy and keep those things which are written in it for the time is near. And so, you know, we're going to claim that blessing tonight. We're going to claim that promise. And if we read here and keep these things, then... That, that's going to happen. And, and so uh, we're, we're going to claim that because we really enjoy being blessed of the Lord. Um, the book has its own outline. We've covered this, but it's so cool to just continue reminding ourselves that, you know, it's not a mystery how the book is laid out. And, and uh, in, chapters, in chapter 1, verse 19, it says, uh, write the things which thou hast seen. And that was the vision of Christ that, uh, that John had in chapter 1. And then the things which are, which was the seven churches, chapters 2 and 3, which we're in the midst of now. We'll finish that up tonight. And then finally, the things that shall be here after. And, and that's, that's what follows after the churches. And so that's what we're going to start uh, in chapters 4 through 22. And so that's the outline. Um, as we've gone through each of the seven letters to the, each of the seven churches, uh, we saw an architecture. We saw a design there. And we said... Oh, well, you know, the, the first thing that was given was the name of the church and then the title of, of Christ that he used as he was introducing himself to the church. And each of those titles was specifically specifically chosen for that church. And, and, and it's exactly what they needed to hear. And then he gave them a common commendation or a concern or both. And then he gave them an exhortation. And then there was a promise to the overcomer. And then that closing phrase, he that hath an ear... 
hear what the Spirit says to the churches. And so tonight, the church of the Laodiceans. The Laodiceans. All right? Let's pray. Father God, I just, I need you right now to speak through me because I'm having some troubles. But Lord, I just uh, rely upon you and pray that you would uh, just speak through me, that you would use me to, to, uh, to share your word. And is it, as we're reading through this passage, God, that you would just um, show us exactly where we are with you and how we're doing in our walk and our, our witness. So, Lord, we just lift this time to you. We invite you here, Father God. We love you. We praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Alrighty. So, chapter 3, verse 14. And to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, These things says the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Because you say, I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire, that you may be rich, and white garments, that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. And anoint your eyes with an eye salve, that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Wow. A lot there. A lot there. Um, Laodicea was, uh, was founded in, um, the, in and around 2000 B.C. by a group called the Ionians. And then the next century, the Hittites came and added it to their empire. And in about 900 B.C., it was captured by the Phygians. And, and then soon after that, by the Lydians. And then about 250 B.C., it was taken by the Syrians. It was like a hot potato. Right? It seems that Laodicea didn't stay in the hands of anybody very long, and there's reasons for that. Um, later on, Antiochus II rebuilt the town and named it after his wife, and her name was Laodice. Um, it traded hands a few more times, and then it ultimately passes into the hands of the Roman Empire, like everything else in the world. Right? Um, according to Josephus, he's, he's a, a Jewish historian, um, he, he wrote about a large Jewish colony there in Laodicea. Um, it's important to understand the, the economy of this, of this town, and it helps us to understand the letter. Uh, Laodicea was a city of merchants, bakers, bankers, and refiners. Merchants, ba- bankers, and refiners. Um, it was built at a junction of roads leading from Ephesus and Smyrna. We're seeing, you know, that's pretty common it's, at that uh, the Lord uses these towns that have um, good transportation systems. Um, literally, this was a high-tech city in terms of back then. Here's a picture of Main Street as, as it looks now. And it had such improvements as plumbed water and a drainage system. So here's the streets. Notice, they even had curbs. What a concept, right? We don't even have curbs in the mountains, all right? <laughs> but that's okay. And then uh, and underneath this street, there's, there's a drainage system, a.k.a. sewer, right? 
And so this was a this was a high end town. This was high tech. A lot of money flowed through this town. Caravans brought goods from as far east as the China Sea. And, uh, you know, it's hard to imagine. But back then, even um, commerce was 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 uh, almost worldwide. And uh, like everything else in, in that area, it was um, it was affected by plate tectonics. It was it was uh, surrounded by uh, volcanism and, and earthquakes uh, were happening lots of times. And so right, right around 62 A.D., um, an earthquake came and just leveled the town and just, you know, just just leveled it. And uh, Laodicea, instead of accepting help from Caesar, they decided, you know what, we can handle this ourselves. We don't we don't need your money. We don't want your help. We're not asking for it. So the city was so wealthy that they refinanced basically their whole rebuilding. Remember last week, Philadelphia, they got destroyed. What did, what did they do? They accepted uh, help from Caesar, and they even you know, named, named the town after him, Neo Caesarea. They said, you know, thanks for helping. We're going to name the place after you. And so uh, uh, Laodicea was a little different. They said, no, nah, we don't need your help. We don't want your help, and uh, we're going to do it ourselves. And so um, they, were, they were wealthy, and they had need of nothing, basically. Um, <clears throat> you might get the idea that they were a prideful people. Right? They were very self-supporting. As you may have noticed from its history, Laodicea traded hands a lot. And the reason is, is because it was not very militarily defendable. It was just this mound of dirt in the middle of the valley. It didn't have big walls around it. It wasn't in a, you know, in a mountainside. Uh, it, was, it was just in the middle of nothingness. And so um, one of the weaknesses was the water supply. And so if there was, a, if there was a, an attack, uh, an army could just come and lay siege. Now, a siege is when the, the armies just come up and, and they don't attack it right away. What they do is just make a big circle and wait you out. They don't let you come in. They don't let anything go out or in. They say, you know, no water, no food. And so if you don't have all of the supplies inside the city, well, you're stuck. You're going to have to open up the gates and do something. And when that happens, well, then that's when the bad things happen. And so the, any enemy army could just shut off the water to this town because they didn't have uh, the resources inside. And so that was, that was a, a weakness. They had insufficient water supplies inside, and, and that outside supply could be easily cut off. And so what would happen is these enemies would show up. And so the Laodicean government would go running out and say, wait, 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 let's talk. Okay, can't we all get along? And so they would basically, they would, um, you know, play politics. They would compromise and negotiate a way to keep from being attacked. All right, hey, we'll give you this and this and this. And then you, we'll do this and this and this if you don't attack us. And so they, they had a nice way of, of, of uh, working this system. Um, there's remnants of a, of a large stadium there, there in Laodicea. Um, and, and it's purported to, to, uh, to hold 30,000 people. That's a lot. I mean, Angel Stadium holds 45,000. And so it gives you an idea that uh, this, was, uh, this was pretty, pretty big. Um, there's also remains of aqueducts and baths and gymnasiums. Um, and so you get an idea of, you know, this town was just luxurious compared to, to, to other cities. Uh, the principal products of Laodicea are important to know about because it helps us understand the letter. Because as Jesus is writing to this church, 
He's using things that they'll understand, that they can relate to. Laodicea was, uh, was famous as, um, in textile, textile manufacturing. And so uh, they, they were known for a, um, a particular breed of sheep. And, and here he is. Isn't he cute? Okay. Um, they had an incredible soft and very glossy wool. And as you can see, it was black. And so that was very unusual. And so, um, you know, they would shear these sheep and they would make wool that was used for cloths and, and carpets and, and all kinds of things. And, and it was exported worldwide. And so it had all these really cool properties of warmth and, you know, staying dry, all the things that, that wool does. Um, but uh, it, it was, they, they, were, they were world famous. Another aspect of Laodicea was, was a, fam- a famous medical school there. And this medical school had, um, uh, was known for this ophthalmic ointment and an eye salve. And so this eye salve was, was a mixture of some powders and, and some oils, and, and they would apply it to their eyes and would bring relief to all kinds of eye problems. And so uh, th- th- this was another reason that the, the city was famous and lots of money pouring in. Um, the people on the street, if you talk to any of Laodiceans, they would understand references to, to the black wool and, and to the eye salve. Now, the, um, the main water supply for Laodicea is pretty amazing. It came through a six-mile-long aqueduct from Hierapolis, which is six miles away, right? And so they had hot springs there, mineral hot springs. And so uh, that, that water was literally plumbed, which is kind of cool. Uh, Rick, I thought you'd like this picture because this looks like I'm plumbing in my house. Uh, yeah. he's, he, he's done lots of work on my plumbing in my house. So anyway, um, uh, so the water would come you know, six miles away and it started nice and hot. But by the time it got to town, it was not so hot. It was lukewarm. It wasn't long enough to cool off and it wasn't close enough to be hot. So it was lukewarm. And... Uh, and so, oh, presently, right now, the Turkish government is still trying to uh, tap into that, uh, those, those geothermal springs and to try to make some energy out of it. And so it's, it's kind of cool. Um, cold water can be so refreshing. There's nothing better than a big glass of ice cold water. I love our water here in, in Running Springs. Okay? I was hoping Kent was going to be here because so, I was going to praise Kent for his work uh, with the water department. But, uh, you know, it's one of my favorite signs of winter is when you go and you grab a glass of water and it's, it, it's cold, right? And it's still warm enough, out, but the water is cold and it's just so refreshing. Nothing can compare to how it tastes. Um, and I, I, I take a big bucket of it to school so I don't have to drink San Bernardino water when I'm down the hill. Um, you know, I, we use the water to make, uh, to make, you know, we like hot water too. So, uh, we, we can drink it as, as coffee, as tea, as, as, as just hot water. Um, but lukewarm water, especially warm salt water, can make you vomit. Alright? It's called an emetic. An emetic is, is, is a medicine that makes you barf, right? And so, lukewarm water is one of those. And uh, so, you know, that, that's handy to, uh, to have around, you know, if, if, if you need to get something out that's not supposed to be in, but not as your daily drinking source, right? And so um, it, it's, uh, it, it, could, it could wear on you, right, to have lukewarm water. Now, historically, the church was possibly, possibly founded by a man, Epaphras, 
Um, he's mentioned in, in Colossians 4. And also Paul's first letter to Timothy was written to him from the town of Laodicea. So it's kind of cool to, to, to feel the history there. There's also some tradition that a, a guy um, by the name of Archippus, and he um, he'd become the, the bishop of the town, uh, or the bishop, bishop of the church. And then uh, some 30 years earlier, Paul had warned Archippus to be more diligent in fulfilling his, his ministry. Um, in in uh, Colossians 4.17, uh, let me show that to you. Here's, here's some more pipes. So this is in my backyard. And so, no, I'm kidding. All right. So um, in Colossians 4.16-17, it says, Now when this epistle is read among you, See that it is read also in the church of the Laodiceans that you likewise read the epistle from Laodicea and say to Archippus, take heed to the ministry which you have received in the Lord that you may fulfill it. It's like Paul was telling Archippus to do your job, right? Um, it may have been even you know this weakness that uh, may have led to the um, spiritual condition of the church that we're going to read about. Okay, so so that's the background on Laodicea. Uh, let's let's jump in. And so Jesus Jesus says unto the angel of the church of the Laodiceans. So once again, angel is the pastor, the messenger uh, of the church. And take notice that the address is not to the church at Laodicea, like all the other churches have been, but literally to the church of the Laodiceans. So it, it's more of an individual basis. The Greek word leos, from which we get our word laity, means people. And dis means decision or rule. And uh, so, you know, when you put those together, this, the name sounds like a good thing. It's like, you know, the people rule. It's democracy, except if it's a church, right? Who's supposed to be in charge of the church? Yeah, King Jesus, yeah, not the people. It's not mob rule, right? It's Jesus' rules. And so... Um, it's interesting that, that that's the name. There are three parts to the title that uh, Christ uses for himself as he's introducing himself. He says, these things says the Amen. And so Jesus is the Amen. The so be it. The it is done. Right? Um, amen is a Hebrew word that means true or verily. Amen is found all throughout the scripture with passages that are speaking of, of that which is true. And guess what? It's not always in the, at, at the end, right? It's not the end of a salutation like a prayer when we sign off. In Jesus' name, amen, right? But these, these amens can be in the middle, you know? So um, I think it's scriptural. So every once in a while, you know, I hear a, a spontaneous amen, right? Amen. There we go. And, you know, and, and I like uh-huhs. Oh, yeah, uh-huh. Yeah. I even like an occasional what-what, right? right? Now, I, I don't know if... With the what what is scriptural? I, I looked and I, I'm not I couldn't find anything, but uh, but I don't mind. All right. Second um, Corinthians one twenty says, "For all the promises of God in Him are yes, and in Him Amen." So Jesus is the personification and the affirmation of the truth of God. Um, Jesus identifies them to this self that to Himself to this group that are they're so prone to compromise. And he's saying, no, 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 there's certainty, and it's me. That's what Jesus is saying. Next, Jesus describes himself as the faithful and true witness. This is in contrast to the latest seasons, because we're going to be seeing that they're neither faithful nor true. Um, 
The Greek word translated witness is martis. And martis is where we get the word martyr. And so the question arises, so what's a witness? I like the definition, one who lives so much like Jesus that they get treated like Jesus. So that's that's the witness. And this shouldn't be a uh, this shouldn't surprise us. Um, it can go both ways. You know, if you love on others, you're going to get love back most of the time. But uh, also, the enemy doesn't care for that too much either. And so, the Bible puts it in Second Timothy says, "Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution." So we're going to see both ends. Um, you would never hear a message about suffering or persecution or martyrdom in a Laodicean church. All right? that's, that's not their style. It seemed that they didn't want to think about those things. They don't want to talk about sorrow and pain. They don't want to talk about hurting or misery. Uh, no, they, they just want to keep everything positive and happy. Right? So the truth is, if we're living godly lives, we're going to be a target for the enemy. Yeah, and we've seen that. There's no question about it. Next description that Jesus uses is the beginning of the creation of God. Now, it's interesting. Cultists will often, often use this verse to say that Jesus, that he's created and he's not co-equal with the Father. But the Greek word translated beginning is actually ark. And ark actually means the origin. And so when we, when we look at you know, the, 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 the sentence again, it makes better sense when we know that Colossians 1.16 says that God the Father created all things through the Son by the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's, that's the, end of the, the, the end of the title of Christ, right? So remember the architecture, name of the church, title of Christ that was chosen specifically for them. And then the commendation or the concern. Well, guess what? Church of Laodicea, they don't get any commendations. Okay? Jesus is going straight to the concern department. And he starts off like he has to each and every other church. He says, I know your works. Okay? Jesus knows that... Uh, what's going on in not only this church, but each and every church. He says that you are neither hot nor cold, or cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot, so then because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. This picture of lukewarmness will immediately connect with Christians of Laodicea, because what are they living with? They're living with that water every day that was lukewarm. Every day. Jesus is saying... Just as the water you drink is disgustingly lukewarm, you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot. In this spiritual sense, lukewarmness is a picture of indifference and compromise. It tries to play the middle. Too cold to be hot and too hot to be cold. Trying to be both, uh, both things and you end up being nothing. Right? Um, except you hear the words, I will vomit you out of my mouth. Wow, that's kind of scary. Uh, let me think. Uh, let me see. What do I want to hear from my Savior? Well done, good and faithful servant. You are faithful over a few things. I will make you rule over many things. Enter into the joy of your Lord. Right? Or I will vomit you out of your mouth. Out of my mouth. I'll take door number one. All right? yeah. The Lord says, you know, if you're hot, I can use you. If you're cold, I can deal with you. But if you're lukewarm, you're neither uh, hot enough to use, nor cold enough to correct, and so uh, we need to be we need to be hot. The thief on the cross, he was cold towards Jesus, but clearly saw his need. Um, the apostle John was hot towards Jesus, and he enjoyed an intimate relationship of love. Judas was lukewarm. 
Judas, he followed Jesus close enough to be considered a disciple, but not giving his heart over to Jesus completely. Okay? Judas was lukewarm. Deep down, there's no one more miserable than a lukewarm Christian. Uh, they have too much of the world to be happy in Jesus and too much of Jesus to be happy in the world. There's, you just can't get comfortable in anything. And so it's best not to be there. We might say that lukewarmness is the natural tendency of our fallen natures. Uh, you ever heard of Charles Spurgeon? Charles Spurgeon was a prolific preacher from the 1800s. Adam, you, you read him? Eden Spurgeon? You read him? Okay. Did you get through it yet? All right. In the 1800s, Charles Spurgeon, think about the time, he says, Alas, the state of lukewarmness is so congenial with human nature that it is hard to fetch men from it. I like the word fetch. Uh, Cold makes us shiver and great heat causes us pain, but a tepid bath is comfort itself. Think jacuzzi. Such a temperature suits human nature. The world is always at peace with a lukewarm church, and such a church is always pleased with itself. Ouch. Right. It's amazing how applicable this quote is. And this is coming from the 1800s. Jesus says, Because you say I am rich, have become wealthy, and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. Wow. This is another example of how the church um, had a self-perception, and they were completely wrong. Each of, each of the seven churches... They had their own self-perception, how they thought they were doing uh, that was completely wrong. Those that thought they were doing well, they were doing terrible. And those that thought they were doing uh, poorly were actually doing well. Uh, that, that should be sobering for each of us as, as we think through. Um, each church, all seven, needed the perspective of Jesus and, and be corrected in that direction. The church at Laodicea, they lacked any spiritual sense. They had no idea where they're at. They looked at their spiritual condition and said, hey, we're rich, wealthy, and we have need of nothing. They were opposite of the church of Philadelphia. The church at Smyrna, they thought they were poor when they were really rich. But the church at Laod- at the, of the Laodiceans believed they were rich, but they were really poor. So it was totally opposite. So what is Jesus, what is his exhortation to the church? He says, I counsel you to buy from me. Right? So the change in the Laodiceans had to begin with an understanding of their spiritual poverty. They had to see where they were at. They had to understand um, their, their need. Uh, as long as we believe that we uh, can meet our own needs uh, for wealth, clothing, sight, all the things that we described here, we can never receive anything from the Lord. We need to seek those things from Jesus instead of relying on ourselves. Then Jesus says, uh, you need to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich. Uh, the gold of which Jesus speaks here was not obtained from the bankers. Right? The gold here was the spiritual counterpart. The gold here that they were, obtained, were, were to obtain from Christ uh, was, was true riches. And that corresponds to the glory of God himself. And then Jesus says, you need to buy from me white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. Throughout Scripture, white garments speaks of the robes of righteousness that were given to Christ, are given to those in Christ. In Isaiah 61.10, we read, I will greatly rejoice in the Lord. My soul shall be joyful in my God, for he has clothed me with the garments of salvation. He has covered me with the robe of righteousness. 
as a bridegroom decks himself with ornaments and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. So if they receive Jesus, the pure, righteous covering that he gives, they're going to be clothed and they're no longer going to be shamed, ashamed of their nakedness. Um, the merchants of Laodicea, they were famous for this black, glossy wool that they used to make beautiful garments. And Jesus says, you know, I, I know the beautiful wool that you can get, but uh, you know what? Don't be a spiritual slave to fashion. Don't worry about what the world offers you. I have white garments that you may be clothed. Then Jesus says, and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. And he's saying if you receive from Jesus the healing of their spiritual sight, and that would be not the eye salve from the medical school, but the eye salve of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit opening their eyes to what they have. The good news is, is that their issues were not incurable. All right? Their issues were not incurable. Jesus is our ultimate refiner, and he offers us his gold. And Jesus is our bridegroom, and he offers us his covering, his grace. And Jesus is our great physician, and he offers his remedy to heal our eyes. Not with eye salve, but with the Holy Spirit. And so you think with such a sharp rebuke, the question is, is has Jesus lost his love for this errant church? And, and the answer is not at all. Not at all. In fact, it's just the opposite. Look what Jesus says here. He says his great love is, is expressed in this. He says, as many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Now, the word for love here is not agape. It's phileo. And so Jesus' heart to this church is, you know, even though I rebuke you and I chasten you, I'm still your friend. I love you deeply as my friend. And so he's not given up on them. But what does he do? He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. He commands them to make a decision to to, to repent and to continue in zeal. He says, don't look around at everybody else's riches and resources because they're, they're really bankrupt. All right? they're, not, they're not really worth much. Turn around and look to me. Uh, the Greek word zealous comes from the same word as hot. So he's saying, you know, be hot and repent. Uh, Jesus detests their lukewarmness and he would much rather have them hot with zeal, just like he'd rather have us hot with zeal. Then we get to verse 20. And verse 20 is one of the most quoted verses out of the book of Revelation, probably uh, something that all of us have seen many times. It says, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Think about it. Jesus gives to this lukewarm church the great invitation. Right? We usually hear this at the end of an altar call. You know, people are excited. They want to be invited. They come down and they want to get, you know, receive the Lord as Savior. And, and, and so that's the great invitation. Jesus is knocking. But really, this verse is the, the final indictment of the church of, of Laodicea. Think about it. Where is Jesus as respect to the church? He's outside. Jesus is outside. In chapter 1, and echoed in chapters 2 and 3, we read that Jesus had the churches in his hands, right? The the stars in his hands, and that he was in the midst of him. But not this church. He's outside the door knocking. He knocks at the door asking entry to come in and dine with us. Ah, yes. 
in the, and in this sense, it's, it's a warm, sharing, intimate time. Jesus speaks of a special meal called as Depnon. And Depnon was the main meal of the day. But it was a nice, long, leisurely meal. It wasn't fast food. All right? It was a let's sit down and break bread together and relax and chat and get to know one another. It speaks of a, a deep relationship. It speaks of fellowship. Right? When I read this, I, I, I can't, I can't um, help but to think of the deep fellowship we have in home fellowships when people meet in people's homes and they fellowship and minister one another um, and, and they break bread, they eat. I think there's something spiritual about eating together. I told you before, Jesus never appears after the resurrection without eating. Okay? He says, hey, you got any fish? Right, let's eat. And so uh, you think I'm kidding when I'm asking you to invite each other over for, you know, for dinner, uh, meals, dessert, coffee, anything. All right? All right? I'm not, I'm not kidding. Notice that Jesus gives the call to individuals. He didn't say, if any church. He says, if anyone. You know, sometimes people will follow the Lord in spite of the church and not because of the church. And so uh, Jesus is calling individuals. Finally, in, in verse 21, he says, To him I, who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne, as I also overcome, overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. Is Jesus on his throne right now? His throne? No, he's not. Christ was promised a throne. Okay? Gabriel told Mary during the birth announcement in Luke 132 that he'd have a throne, but that throne is David's throne. and He's not on David's throne now, and, and uh, he hasn't been, but, but he will. Right? We're going to talk lots about thrones uh, next week. Um, Jesus is saying that, think about it, those who overcame the battle against indifference, compromise, self-reliance, that they receive a special reward. They get to jump up in his lap. And they, they enjoy a special place with Jesus. So literally, the worst of the seven churches, and yet the most eminent of all the promises are made to it. Um, it just shows us that the worst may repent, finally conquer, and attain even to the, the highest state of glory. It's... You know what? Isn't that just like our Lord? That he, He's so good and gracious and He gives us all what we don't deserve and He's so merciful by not giving us what we do deserve. That's, that's our God. Our God loves us. Few churches want to identify themselves with the church of Laodicea. Verse 23 says, He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Um, yeah, we, we would much rather identify with the Church of Philadelphia. But we need to hear and listen to what the Holy Spirit says here because he, He's speaking to all of us. He's speaking to all the churches and, and all of us. Um, you know, may God deliver us from being self-reliant, from being compromising, from being lukewarm that marked the church of the Laodiceans. Um, my challenge for us this week is to take some time alone with the Lord and allow the great physician to apply his ISAM uh, that will allow us to see our, ourselves clearly. And when you're spending time with the Lord, ask him to show you how you're doing in your walk. Ask him to show you if your witness uh, resembles his witness. Just ask him and, and he'll tell you. Right? Before we leave this evening, I told you we we're going to take some time to circle the, the wagons. 
And so what I'd like us to do tonight is um, to gather up in some small groups and take a few minutes to pray corporately for some of the issues that we're praying together about. And we'll pray for a few minutes on each, and then I'll put a slide up, and then we'll pray for um, the, the next piece. Really, it's the big, the big pieces, the vision, and then the board with decisions, and then the ministries that we have, and then individuals. Alrighty? So if you could, if you need to move, move around in your seats, but group together so that you can be praying together.